Timothy Henry Gray. Timothy Henry Gray, his body was discovered by children sledding under a Union Pacific Railroad overpass in Evanston, Wyoming, in the southwest of the state on Thursday, a Thursday in December of 2012, as the temperatures hit 10 degrees, his body was discovered. Timothy was believed to be homeless. The overpass that he was discovered under was well-known, a well-known spot for the homeless to live during the winter. What was even more tragic about this was the fact that he was a long-lost relative of the reclusive and eccentric New York heiress, Huguette Clark, who stood to inherit $19 million of her $300 million fortune. Tim Gray was an adopted great-grandson of former U.S. Senator William Andrews Clark, who made his reputation as one of the copper kings of Montana, who had also diversified into banking, building, and railroads, and reserved special fame as the founder of Las Vegas. In fact, the county that Las Vegas is in is actually named for him, Clark County. Huguette Clark was the youngest daughter of that late Senator Clark, and she had a fortune that included houses and apartments across the country, including a 21,000-square-foot estate overlooking the ocean in Santa Barbara, California, that was valued at $84 million. I've got a picture of it to put on the screen. This is probably not even the whole of the estate. And three apartments in a building in New York on Fifth Avenue, totaling a sum of, of about worth of about $25 million. And that was just a couple of them. She had bunches of stuff, and I read up on this. So this man, Timothy Gray, died homeless under an overpass in Wyoming and did not know that he was an heir to a huge family fortune. While I believe this is a terrible story, it's a tragic story, really. And you wish that this man could have realized his great riches. What is more tragic is Christians today who do not know or do not understand the riches that they have in Christ Jesus. They don't know what they have in Jesus. The Apostle Peter, he writes here his second letter, his second epistle. In the first epistle, he, he wrote the first epistle uh, to encourage those who would be un undergoing extreme suffering and persecution for the faith in Jesus Christ. The theme of the second letter, really, is to encourage people, Christians, against false teachers and false teaching that would be, be and become more and more of a problem as the church expanded. And so he opens the letter by telling and reminding those Christians of the first century, and I believe us here tonight as we're gathered together, in the 21st century, of the great riches that we have in Jesus Christ. And I believe it's important that we know and understand and perhaps reminded of again and again of the great riches that we have in Jesus Christ. We don't need any Christians dying under overpasses not knowing what they possess in Jesus Christ. 
In the salutation of his letter, Peter outlines what the believer in Jesus Christ has in him. And so tonight we're going to take a look at what we have as 21st century Christians, what we possess in Jesus. And the first thing that Peter presents to us, if you're taking notes, the first thing that you possess in Jesus is this, precious faith. Precious faith. You have a precious faith. So let's take a look at the opening here of First Peter, or Second Peter, chapter one, verse one, and it says this: Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. The apostle Peter he opens this second letter, this epistle, in a way very similar to the way that the Apostle Paul opened many of his letters. He opens it like this. Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. If you were reading in the Greek text, the language that this was written in, it would read like this. Simeon Petros, doulos, apostolos, Isus, Christos. And those words are so important because this is what uh, Peter is telling us of who he is in Christ who he has come to know and understand of who he is in Jesus Christ. And I believe the order of the sentence is significant. Amen? Simeon was his name before he met Christ. Petros was the name that Jesus, of course, gave him when he at Caesarea Caesarea Philippi declared unto Jesus when asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And that's when Jesus looked at him. He said, Simon, you're now Peter. Simon, you're now Petros. And so Simon, Petros. And then the next word, doulos. Doulos is really a word. It's translated here in the New, uh, the New King James as bondservant. Other places as bondservant or servant. Um, and I think that's a good place to start. I think bondservant is a little closer than servant. Actually, it's the idea. It's actually slave. It's actually the, the, the possession of someone. And so really, when you think about it, what Paul is saying to the Romans and the Ephesians and those other letters is he's writing to those churches and he's saying, Paulos, doulos. And he's saying, Paul, a bondservant. Now, Peter's saying, Paul, a Peter, a bondservant. He's literally saying, I'm the possession of Christ and I'm the servant of Christ. I'm his possession and I'm his servant. And then he says... He talks about the calling upon his life to be an apostle. And so he's a, he's a bondservant first, and he's apostle second. Amen? And so we've got to realize uh, in our lives as Christians that we're first and foremost servants of the Lord. Amen? Before we're called to do anything else, we're called to be servants of Christ. We're servants of the Lord. And let that be your testimony, Christian. Let it be your testimony. I am the Lord's servant. And now more than ever to declare and to know that that's what our testimony is, that we are the Lord's servant. Amen? And, uh, and so, you know, because if, if you can get, you know, people get confused and they get uh, confused as to what it is that, who, the, who it is that they're serving and who it, who it is that they're, that they're, they're, they're taking uh, marching orders from and, and and the Lord is our master, Amen. And He is, and we are His servants. We are His possession. So, um, Christian, you are first and foremost the Lord's possession and the Lord's servant. 
course, you know, if you look back into the Old Testament, you look back into Leviticus, when the priesthood was uh, formulated in the Old Testament, in, in the Old Covenant, Mosaic Law, uh, when they were dedicated, they were dedicated, and they were dedicated first and foremost to the service of the Lord, secondarily to the service of the people of Israel. Amen? And so it's important to keep that order very crystal clear in, in our minds. Next, Peter addresses those to whom he is writing, to those who have obtained like precious faith. Peter wrote to those who had the same salvation that he had experienced, which he called those who have obtained like precious faith. And so we're going to zero in really tonight on that phrase, like precious faith, because that is what we have and possess in Christ Jesus. All of us together, if you name the name of the Lord Jesus, if he is your Lord, then you and me together with all the saints going all the way back in history and all the way as far forward as history is to go, we all together possess in Christ a like precious faith. And so we're going to look at this uh, particular phrase. The phrase here in the Greek is isotimos pistis. I'll have it up on your screen. It's, it's fun to throw a little Greek out there, not, not to make it sound scholarly, but it's important to understand these words because these words, uh, you know, Greek, I, I believe that there was a reason why Jesus came at the particular time that he did. Paul wrote in Galatians that, G, uh, that he was born, that he came into the world at the fullness of time, and there was a lot to that. There's a lot to that. There's a whole little teaching on that because you had, you had the height of the Roman Empire. You had the road system of the Roman Empire. You had the language that had taken over the world uh, as a result of the Grecian Empire under Alexander the Great and now had permeated the world and so now you have Jesus Christ being born into the environment of a kingdom with a language and a road system that had now been prepared for him to found his kingdom uh, here on the earth and to have that disseminated throughout the known world at that time. And so it's important. So it's a Timos pistis. And really, um, if, if you're familiar at all with the Greek, pistis is actually the word faith. And, um, and so... Uh, Isotimos, uh, is, it's together, it actually means like precious faith. Uh, pistis, again, is faith. Isotimos, is, it means equal, equality, equal in dignity, worth, and honor. Uh, and so it's, it's of equal worth, it's of equal honor, it's of equal value in that sense. This is what uh, Kittle's... Uh, Theological Dictionary has to say about the prefix of the word isotomos. It's isos in the Greek, and it, it is this. The equality uh, denoted by isos is primarily one of size or number or of value or force in a quantitative sense, as distinct from homeosos, which suggests quality. It may thus be used for equal sums, lengths of space or time, shares, pieces, or an equal voice. And so really, in that sense, it's, it's a quantitative equality. It's a quantitative equality. And so we have a like precious faith that we have in Christ Jesus. In other words, we don't have any less of or more of the salvation that Peter or any of the apostles possess. The same, the same salvation that Peter had, amen, 
The same salvation that Paul had, the same salvation that Abraham possessed, is the same salvation that you and I possess as we are a part of the family of God in the kingdom of heaven. Amen? We all have a like precious faith. It is, it is of equal honor and worth and value in that sense. The value of Peter's faith is the same value, really, of your faith. If indeed that you have obtained a saving faith. If you have a saving faith, then that saving faith is of the same value that any other person that has been saved by Jesus Christ. Amen? After the rich young ruler had walked away from Jesus, you remember the occasion, you know, there was a rich young ruler that came to Jesus and he said to Jesus, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, you know, they have this conversation, right? You can find it, I believe it's Matthew 19 is the context there. And Jesus says to him, he says, keep, keep the commandments, keep the commandments. And the rich young ruler answers back and he says, well, I've done that. I've done that. As if, you know, he's proud about that, you know, as if he had kept all the commandments, right? But anyways, you know, Jesus doesn't challenge him on that, that, that fact at all, that, you know, that he had not been able to keep the commandments. But, you know, he, he says, okay, good, good, good. Here, here's what you need to do. Sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and, and follow me. Come follow me. And for him, that was a hard, hard saying. And in fact, the encounter ends with the rich young ruler just kind of turning around and walking the other direction. Now, what's interesting about that, I actually believe, I, I, can't, I can't ultimately prove this, but I, be, I believe that the rich young ruler actually came to faith in Christ. And he was, I, I believe it actually is John Mark that, was, that actually became Peter's assistant. And uh, that's for another occasion, but you can ask me about that. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a great, it's a great uh, thing there. But anyways, um, uh, but after that, the, the, the disciples are kind of left in a quandary because they're kind of looking at, you know, Jesus actually says, you know, it's harder for a rich man, you know, to, you know, it's very difficult for a rich man to enter into heaven. You know, it's easier for a, a camel to go through the eyes of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. And so the, the question after this whole thing was, wow, well, what do we have? In fact, it was Peter who actually asked the question. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 27, I'll actually have it up on the screen for you. Then Peter answered and said to him, see, we have left all and followed you. And it's, it's as if Peter is actually saying to Jesus, look, you asked this guy to give up everything and follow you. Look at, look at us over here. Jesus, we did it. We, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? What shall we have? And the answer comes in a couple of different teachings that Jesus gives them. The immediate answer is that anybody who has left uh, family and lands and places and houses and all this will receive a, a great reward. Uh, and, and Jesus gives that promise. But then when you go through uh, the context there in Matthew 19, it kind of, you get to the end of chapter 19, it goes right into chapter 20. And it goes right into the parable of the workers of the vineyard. Go ahead and turn over there real quick with me to the parable of the vineyard in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. 
And we'll just take a look at this for just a minute here. Jesus said this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and he found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one hired us. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do as I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first, and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. The parable of the vineyard workers. And basically this parable teaches a principle. It's, it's a principle as we see it. There you had the landowner who went out, and he hired men to work in his vineyard throughout the day. Some at the early hours. You know, basically you had men that were like day laborers. And a denarius was a day's wage. Um, and that's why, you know, when you know, Mary uh, breaks open the spikenard of oil and, and anoints Jesus' feet, and she's rebuked by some of the disciples. One of the Gospels tells us that it was Thomas that rebuked her. I don't think he was the only one, but Thomas for sure, because, and the Gospel gives us the reason why, because he was the one that held the, 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 the treasury of Jesus' ministry. And he, he rebuked her and said, you know, this could have been say, you know, sold and given to the poor. It was about a year's salary. It was about 300 denarius. And uh, so a denarius was a day's uh, wage. And so the workers come at all these various hours. But see, Jesus, the, the, the landowner, had said to the, to the ones who came first, I will give you a denarius. And then as the, as the ones came throughout the day, you know, at the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and even all the way up to the eleventh hour... Uh, he said, I will give you what is right. I will give you what is right. And so he gives the instruction to his foreman, right? And he says, I want you to, to give out the wages and I want you to start with the last one, the, the, the guys that came on last. I want you to start there and work your way all the way back to the guys who've been working all day. And he started with the ones that came in the 11th hour and he gave them each a denarius, gave them the same wage, all, for all those that worked throughout the day. And so the, the guys that had come early and worked the whole day, they received their wage. But the text there says, Jesus says that they complained, 
when they receive their denarius. And so they have this exchange. They go to the owner and they say, look, why, why, how is it that you're giving us a denarius? We worked all day. These guys came in for the, an hour and you're giving them a denarius too? And Jesus says, look, I, we, we had an agreement, right? You, you were going to work for denarius. You came on at that hour. And, and I told these guys I would give them what was right. And why are you telling me that what I'm doing is wrong? Is it not that your eye is bad? Isn't, is it not the, the way that you're looking at it that's incorrect? Because I'm actually good. Because I'm generous. Because I want to give to all the laborers the same wage. And, and so it's an incredible, incredible uh, parable there. And it's a principle, uh, I believe, connected to this idea that we all have a like precious faith. It's a, it's a, it's, uh, there's a connection to this idea that we have um, a faith that is of equal value, of equal worth, uh, each one of us. If, if, if we are truly saved, if we do have a saving faith, if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, then, then you and I both have a like precious faith. And, you know, there's I can certainly sympathize with, you know, the guys that worked all day, you know, and it, you can look at it, you can, especially if it was a hot day like, like this, right? You know, you can definitely sympathize with these guys. Are you kidding me? I should have come at the 11th hour and got a denarius for the whole, for an hour. I was out here working all day. But the bottom line is that we all are given, uh, we all have a like precious faith. So if you, if you look back at Second Peter chapter 1 verse 1, he says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so it is by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is by his righteousness. It's by him giving to us what he wants to give us. And for anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, he will be saved. Amen. You know, you think of the, the thief on the cross. You know, I mean, you, you, you think of, you know, there's a few people you could think of in Scripture, right? That uh, you say, wow, you know, they have a like precious faith. The thief on the cross was literally guaranteed by the literal mouth of Christ. I mean, audibly he heard, today you will be with me in paradise because he he basically called out to the Lord. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And uh, so he honored him as Lord. And because of that profession of faith, he was given like precious faith for one who literally, did he, did he serve the Lord the rest of that day? And there's some that I've known that have served the Lord their whole life and just been faithful in working for the Lord I think of all the great pastors of years gone by and the great missionaries who've labored on the mission field in, in really extreme conditions, you know, when you think about it. Extreme conditions and just serving the Lord. And they, their faith, our faith, Peter's faith, Paul's faith, the faith of the man, the thief on the cross, is like precious faith. Amen? But it's by the righteousness of our God. 
we, what we have is given to us by his grace, by his righteousness. It's because he's righteous. It's because he's good. It's because he's graceful and merciful. It's because he wants to give to those who respond to, to him this like precious faith. Amen? Now, I want to focus real quick before we bring it to a close tonight. Um, this last little phrase here in verse 1. He says, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to focus just for a minute on this last phrase, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because this, this final phrase is interesting. It's interesting because Peter clearly calls Jesus God, right? Because of the righteousness, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's, he's calling uh, Jesus God. And Jesus is God. That's who he is. And um, you, you will have others that have various other theories, different groups uh, that have all kinds of explanations as to who Jesus is. And this was of special interest to me, so much so that I was compelled to write a book on the subject, uh, Who is Jesus? And if you don't want to read the book, I'll tell you the answer. It's right here in 2 Peter 2, verse 1. Amen? Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's who he is. Amen? Now, listen to what uh, Kenneth Wu says about the phrase, this phrase. Wu is one of the translators of the, of the uh, New American Standard uh, Version, New, 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 New American Standard Bible. And he was a Greek scholar. He says, The expression God and our Savior is in a construction in the Greek text which demands that we translate our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The expression thus showing that Jesus Christ is the Christian's God. That he is God. He's equating Christ, Jesus Christ, the Son, to have full equality with the Father. Amen? And so in that sense, the Christians, we possess a like precious faith and the members of the Godhead possess a like precious divinity in that sense because we believe, we sung about it tonight, amen? I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one. Not three gods, one God in three persons. He is our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The Lord, the Son, John told us, has always existed with the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, he took on human flesh and has revealed himself to be the God equal to 
and one with the Father in heaven. Amen? And so, Christian, next week we'll pick it up and we'll continue. You possess a lot of things in Jesus. You possess great riches in Jesus. And the first thing that you possess that Peter has told us about is this like precious faith that is very, very valuable. Very, very valuable. And I think the lesson for us tonight is this, is to never let the value of that diminish in our minds. Never let it be diminished in our minds. Let us never take it for granted, but I think let it never be, let it never be diminished in our minds. Realizing that that in and of itself is of such value and worth that for all of eternity we will be singing the praises of God. Amen. For what he's done. For just saving us. For saving our soul. For saving us from absolute destruction and corruption, which we'll get into next week. So don't miss it, okay? He saved us and gave us life and saved us from corruption and death. Amen? And we have a, we have a precious, precious faith in Jesus Christ.